0: Welcome to Video Game Bullshit. This is Master Daniel Piscina. Get over here to Video Game Bullshit.
1: This is Jeffrey Wittenhagen. I'm an author of multiple gaming books, including collector's guides for both the Nintendo and Super Nintendo. I'm a huge fan of action RPGs like The Legend of Zelda, and obscure systems like the Neo Geo and TurboGrafx-16. And we've got guys!
0: Hey hey! I'm big into uh, no-death runs, high-score runs, uh, collector of all things, vintage and retro. Uh, Pretty much anything video game related. Also, collect figures, vinyl, VHS, tap handles, old beer signs, and old beer steins.
1: Please call our number, leave a voicemail or a text message at 262 264 VGBS. We're here for the next lovely, glorious episode of video game bullshit. If you would, Jason, go ahead and introduce yourselves to the listeners. Sure um, well thanks for having me on the podcast. So I'm Jason Lapine.
2: I work at Enthusiast Gaming, which is um, a company uh, that's behind sites such as Nintendo Enthusiasts, PlayStation Enthusiasts, pretty much all the console enthusiasts. We also got PC gaming enthusiasts and recently uh, we acquired Destructoid.com uh, as well so we're we're the site behind that. Um, but my, my my beginnings are a little bit more humble as a host on Nintendo
1: Enthusiasts. His YouTube
2: channel and now my personal channel. Hey, J.
1: Nice, nice. So, um, what are your major motivations? Like, what drew you to, you know, wanting to, you know, work with a mega gaming website that reports on stuff and you know all that.
2: Um, funny enough, uh, my involvement with Nintendo Enthusiast wasn't a website initially. Uh, the founder lives in the same city as I do and i met him when i was trying to connect with uh gamers at the time so uh i was kind of in a down period in my life uh, i was unmotivated i had just come out of animation school which was supposed to be the thing that was going to derail me from engineering which is what i was doing <laughs> um and i realized i was stuck cuz i didn't i still didn't like engineering and animation 3d animation wasn't for me either so i was i was trapped in life and the only thing i really liked at the time was video games So I was like, oh, maybe I should find other people that like video games. So I was looking at Meetup, uh, meetup meetup.com. That's where I found the the owner of Enthusiast Gaming. And he was looking for people to get together and put a video game event together. It was actually supposed to be like a Nintendo convention. Oh, nice. Nintendo. (laughs) Uh, I was like, oh, cool. Yeah, that's exciting. Let me help you build that. And then I learned that, you know, at that time, he only had Nintendo Enthusiast as a website. Um, So I got to know the website and... At that time I had no video content and I've always had a thing for video content. Like I used to shoot with the camera, um, as a kid, as a teenager, I used to do all these high school projects. I was like, Oh, cool. Let me, let me play around and do some video content for you on this Nintendo enthusiast channel, which at that time had 400 subscribers. And I was just like, Whoa, this, this platform like already has an audience. Um, uh, I can put a video and it's going to grow, uh, not realizing how insignificant that was at the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah and then three three it's been three four years now and uh it's just opportunities kept opening up and i kept pursuing more and more um involvement in the video gaming industry and here i am
1: well and you also got associated with the magical leprechaun sean long himself <laughs> yeah that's
2: quite a funny story as well how uh, i guess he's pretty big now before uh people might not know him but yeah
1: he's he's made quite a name for himself as the rgt85 now yeah, he's picking up steam for sure. I just I just remember a season one of VGBS, our our old co-host who's no longer with us, was like, "There's some crazy leprechaun that's on online doing this YouTube channel. He's gaining steam. I don't know why his channel is better than mine, and all this." And it was like, <laughs> it was RGT eighty one eighty
2: five. I remember that too. When uh, we actually launched on the same week, so Sean was a writer for Nintendo Enthusiast. I didn't really know him. And he decided to do video content the same week I was releasing my content, which was Indie Corner at the time. Nice, nice. I'm not going to be modest. My show was way better than his. Uh, It had quality. I had an actual videographer, an editing team, graphics, animation. And he literally played, um, what is it, the the song from, I think he played the DuckTales uh, to the Moon song. Oh, the classic, yeah. For 20 seconds, 30 seconds over this, like, thing he did in paint. So you have to, like, watch the static image for 30 <laughs> seconds before you see this guy's mug come up on the cheapest webcam you can find. He's like, hi, welcome. And he, you can see his eyes reading off the screen. He's like, hi, welcome to Nintendo Enthusiast Week in Review. I am Sean Long. <laughs> He's just reading everything. And uh, I still remember because when I launched, I got 3,000 views off the bat. Sean got 300 views (laughs) and uh, I was like who are you you're like destroying this channel you're putting all this garbage content and he hated me too because he's like who's this like dick with like the fancy hair and like this I was I was very like monotone too on camera so it wasn't great so we hated each other at the beginning I wanted to see him die off my channel and he wanted to me off his channel which was you know Nintendo enthusiasts
1: And it's hilarious uh, because they actually then later started a podcast together.
2: Yeah, so we learned to get together. We actually learned to work together pretty well, and I think it was a year or two later we started the Class vs. Crass podcast, uh, which is closing up on its 100th episode soon.
1: Nice, nice.
2: And now I talk to Sean like every day, and like we we understand each other, and actually, there's a lot more in common than us than than meets the eye. Like we have very different. Ways of um, like carrying ourselves, like he, like I'm a little bit classier, he's a bit crassier. But at the end of the day, we're both very passionate about video games, and like we have the same kind of work ethics, which is amazing. To that, that's where we connect on.
1: Yeah, that's that's the interesting thing that I've seen too is that like everybody, like that we've had on and ourselves included, Kyle and I, we've all gotten into gaming different ways to the level that we currently are at, where we're creating various avenues of content and it's like the the crazy amount of work ethic that everybody has is like something that you can't even discount at all
2: Hmm. yeah it takes a lot of work uh to you know build something from nothing um and that's scary and exciting because uh you know the video gaming industry as you like there's so many different communities now that just weren't there even 10 years ago and there's so many opportunities for anybody who wants to get involved but it just it requires so much work to to build a name for yourself
1: oh absolutely it is it's 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 insane and like if you want to make it on youtube like actually your your crass buddy is a perfect example on how to do it correctly because he's literally putting out the content you need to put out he's hitting the seo that you need to hit the search engine optimization that you need to hit And he's literally doing what he enjoys the way he wants to do it, which is people are enjoying. He has a pretty huge listener base now.
2: Yeah. uh, And it's funny how that started too, because um, when he started our GT 85, no, like everybody on Nintendo enthusiasts was, it was kind of a multi-contributor channel. And we all had our own personal channels at the time, except him. And, he, wanted, he kept trying to push this retro show on Nintendo Enthusiast called Retro Corner, you know, imitating my indie <laughs> corner. And it, it never had an audience. It was always very low views, even though the channel had 15, 20,000 subscribers. Wow. Because a lot of the stuff didn't fit with Nintendo Enthusiast. Like, he wanted to do a lot of Sega hardware reviews and retro stuff. So I was like, yeah, go do your channel. And uh, he hustled. And like he's at 50,000 subscribers now. So I congratulate him. I, he, he's worked his way there. He's
1: definitely um, a busy little beaver now. <laughs> so, so I'd like to go into a little bit of what we talked about at uh, Too Many Games. You were, I think, having a nice wine. Um, I, I was probably drinking <laughs> a, a mixed drink. But we, we were talking like we're in a weird, weird era now where we're coming together. And we were both talking like this is a time that people are going to be talking about in the future. They're going to be looking back on this era. And that's something I would definitely like to, to dig into a little bit about like the initiatives and that crazy mentality.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting topic. You know, we'll either look back on today and say, wow, we didn't know anything or wow. We uh, had a crystal ball and forecasted everything.
1: (laughs) I mean, just myself, like, I've already in the last couple years, I I call it raising the bar, but I've learned so much just in the book avenues that, like, it's night and day my first book that I published myself as a publisher to my last book that I just published. Like, if you look at the book quality, everything, like, as I've learned so much just on that avenue alone. I, I don't know if we'll ever, quote unquote, know everything, but... I feel that, you know, as a community, that's what's really going to help us all grow.
2: Well, it's it still surprises me to this day, especially like in the well, just the retro community in and of itself. Um, you know, I'm, I'm aware of it. I'm not as involved in it, I think, as as you as you are, as Sean is. Um, it just amazes me how much for you know these, this hardware that is now 20, 30 years old, how there's still these secrets in games that are 20, 30 years old that are still being discovered, and how there are tricks and like new information that's coming out from development cycle from game developers and all that. like it, it just it's absolutely fascinating for me.
1: Oh, that's definitely part of the craziness. And the one thing that's blowing my mind is that I've been going back and looking into the uh, Japanese games for consoles. And, like, with my NES Out book, I did Famicom. Now, with my definitive Super Nintendo I'm launching uh, in October, it's, like, um, Super F- Famicom. And I'm finding these games that are excellent that I had no clue were out there. And, I mean, I had the full ROM lists and things like that on my computer all the way back to the early 2000. And, you know, I have the EverDrive that could play everything. Yet, I still, because there's so many games out there, never experienced them because... Now I'm looking at them with a microscope. And right. that's the interesting part is that like I'm using my interests in craft to kind of go deeper. And my interests are getting bigger and bigger as I go through it, which is insane.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, I had a little bit of a moment like that.
2: Um, so here, here's my story of dabbling into retro. So last year yes. uh, I found a Graphics TurboGrafx- 16 that, Is that what they're called? That is what they're um, called. Yeah, okay. So I picked one of those up and it came with 3 games and the reason I bought it was I wanted to make a um, a little documentary on it, actually I wanted to make a video which never happened. But um point is I ended up getting it. I didn't really research the console that much prior and it came with 3 games and one of those games was Bonk's Revenge, which I learned that there was this whole franchise and this whole history to this to this character and to this game which when I played it, it was amazing. And I was like, wow, this game has lived so well for 30 years. And again, this is coming from someone who doesn't play retro games that often.
1: Yeah,
2: uh, Like that, that kind of discovery was just amazing to me, even a Turbo Graphics, uh, up until maybe three years ago, I didn't even know existed. Like that's how out of touch I am with that
1: side of uh, gaming. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting thing too, to think about is that, not everybody, and this is kind of why I write in my collector books like I do with a minimalistic style, because not everybody is as obsessed as the microcosm that Kyle and I live in. RGT85, Sean, he lives in there too, is that not everybody knows what a TurboGrafx-16 is. Not everybody knows about the Neo Geo or the, the Sega Saturn and how underrated it is in Japan and like, they don't know the crazy aspects that we kind of almost take for granted.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's, uh you know, how far does the rabbit hole go?
1: <laughs> Which pill do you want, the, the blue pill or the red pill? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, the, the Turbo's biggest mistake, really, in my opinion, in the States, was uh, packing in Keith Courage. They should have packed in Bonk, kind of like how Genesis had – um, originally they had like Altered Beast, but you know, eventually they had Sonic and then they had a uh, Sonic 2 back in. So Turbo could have done like a Bonk pack in and then they could have done a, you know, Bonk's Revenge pack in. And that's the thing where they even had Bonk as a mascot. If you look at the old game pros, Turbo graphics had Bonk as their official mascot, kind of like Sonic and Genesis, but they never had it as a pack in. And I think that was the big problem.
2: Kind of miss those days when consoles had pack Remember
1: that? <laughs> exactly. That would be an amazing thing if they did it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because the NES had Mario, the mascot, as a pack-in.
0: Genesis had Sonic eventually as mm-hmm. a pack-in, which is the mascot. So you, you just you know go down that line. It works, right? Nice. Worked then, yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. And that was the last generation, the third generation, the 16-bit generation, where they had pack-ins primarily. A few consoles later did, but starting with you know PlayStation and 64, there was no pack-in game at all at that point, unless you had a specialty bundle. I know, later Maybe, yeah. like Nintendo would do some.
2: So the N64 wasn't packed in with Mario 64.
1: No, nothing. Yeah, no. nothing with that one. Now, now later on, yeah. there was a DK64 bundle that had DK64 in it, but that was, like, much, much a later.
0: Special, it was a special bundle, too. So yeah. it, was, it was exclusive, and it cost a little more. Yeah. Jungle Green, N64, that, mm-hmm. yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was the generation I actually s- skipped. So I had the NES, then to Sega, then I skipped a generation where I only played at Friends, and I got back into it when I bought it myself, the PlayStation 2
1: we really don't have a huge uh, nostalgia, nor do we think it held up well that whole fourth generation, the PlayStation 64 era. And there's people that swear by mm-hmm. that era. Yeah. I think it
2: all depends on how like, how old you are.
1: Absolutely. And yeah, like what
0: what time and what era did it really all come together? That's a nostalgia thing too, the rose-colored glasses, you know? Because mm-hmm. it means yeah. something to you. It's like a song, you know? A song means something to you. Even if it's a song that you wouldn't generally like, if it's associated with, like, an event, now yeah. it has, like, another nostalgic aspect to it. Yeah. Right. It's like that.
2: You know. I think you guys are about three years older than me.
0: Yeah,
2: um, and what's you, What's your favorite generation? Is it the 8-bit or 16-bit or another one?
0: It's the NES all the way. 8-bit. Eight, eight
2: and you see yeah. my favorite generation is 16-bit. Mm-hmm. Younger,
0: some people were a bit
2: younger than me, they swear by the N sixty four generation.
0: Yeah, it's sixteen bit's not far, but I would say for me, the nostalgic just discovering the NES made it.
1: Yeah. I mean and and the thing is, is that you know, I I enjoy the hell out of the sixteen bit. I love the sixteen bit era. Oh yeah, so good. But but it's like the bread and butter always goes back to eight bit the the feel good times. Um, it, it's a hundred percent nostalgia. It's, it's us, you know, get me my cane and Walker and let me hobble around and tell these sunnies why the ape it's good. You know what I mean? That's me. <laughs> yep.
0: I kind of like the pixelated way though. You know how people are now making like purrs and stuff like that. I just like that artsy deal where it's like Legos, you know, like you, if you look at it up close, it looks like just a bunch of mismatch. but if you, you know, back up a little bit, and then you can see, like, oh, okay, that's his face, you know, that type of thing. And then you can kind of make it out where that's just the, that artsy, fartsy part of me that I like. Where when it gets further on, each system has its own artsy way of showing graphics.
2: How do you guys like uh, Shovel Knight?
0: Ooh, oh, that's a great one.
1: I love that. classic.
0: Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> I've right. played through it, that once.
2: It, it, it plays awesome. right to all those you know, careful nostalgia strings that you guys have, like that that art style that you love and everything. Like I love the game. I think it's great. But I think it'd be I think I would like it more if it had that 16 bit polish, which I mm-hmm. like as much as I love the NES games, I just feel the the 16 bit era just polished everything.
0: Yeah, what's what's great that I can That's say great. with that, I just want them to make a Legend of Zelda, you know, the like the original NES version. I want someone to make one on the SNES, the exact same map. Like, just like Link to the Past, but it's Uh, Legend of Zelda game. Like, oh, my God, because the polish is beautiful. Yeah, I'm I'm a super, you know, 16-bit fan, too, so it's super close.
1: And to those listeners, like Kyle does know about the BS Zelda games, the map is not exact. They actually shrunk the map a little bit in the BS Zelda games, the broadcast satellite ones. Kyle and I have played it, and he's like, where the fuck is this? Where's this? This is (laughs) it. A Zelda All-Stars,
0: like Mario All-Stars, that's what I'm talking about. Even Zelda 2, you could make like an All-Stars version where they redid all the 8-bit games in 16-bit. That's fucking tight. You could even make that like a series. Like someone, some badass programmer, hopefully one day is going to come on the scene and be like, watch this. (laughs) Well, I'm waiting for it.
2: It wouldn't be that, I mean, it'd be difficult, of course, but like we we have lots of people with that skill set. It's not as difficult as it was back in the day, right?
1: Yes. Yes. It's progressing, you know. Mm -hmm. I think that um, what is it, companies like Collector Vision with uh, John Lester I think they're going to really open up the pathways because they're programming two Super Nintendo games right now and hopefully they release these tools that they're using to program with because that's been the biggest headache for a lot of programmers is the Super Nintendo has not had a lot of support when it comes to programming for brand new games and if you know, they actually share some of that, maybe we'll get lucky and get some more amazing games.
2: So did they build their own engine from scratch?
1: I'm pretty sure, engine? pretty sure they did. <laughs> These guys are crazy. Um, But I, I do know that because they're porting it to so many systems, because they're porting it to almost everything out there that I can see, um, that they have to have some kind of back-end program that makes it at least easy to convert to other systems. There has to be something
2: there. I don't know what. So they're porting, like, they're going to release physical uh, carts for all these classic, all these retro consoles?
1: Yeah, I, I actually have uh, Sydney Hunter, which is their their main series. I already have right. the ColecoVision version. They're releasing a Super Nintendo one that they just finished. There's a Nintendo version. There's a Master System version coming out. Um, they're releasing yes. it for, like, every system. There we go. Let's see. That's being hmm
2: What's it been like for you guys to see this, you know, to, to see this retro community grow? Because five five ten years that you've really seen these you know going from collector to actually having this massive online retro community that's supporting itself in in more and it's not just collecting anymore it's actually let's make games for our old consoles let's Mm -hmm. you know let's make things efficient things that were broken let's fix it stuff like that so how has that been like to find these other like retro enthusiasts uh you know that love games the way that you do
1: I like the enthusiast plug. That that was good. Uh, (laughs) Very nice. Very nice. So interestingly enough is when I was in college back in the uh, early, early 2000s, um, the mod community was already a thing. Like a lot of these NES homebrew creators, the guys that are now, we call them the Yodas, um, they Mm. were writing (laughs) games in the late 90s. Um, They were learning their craft. And so like I was already getting... Um, fan translations and hacks back in, you know, in high school, my buddy Eric, which we've mentioned on the podcast, and I worked on some Mega Man hacks and, and Mario hacks and stuff ourselves. So, like, everybody was there. It's just, I think what, you, what you're talking about really struck a chord in the last 10 years was the, the catalyst that brought the community together. And yes. I, I think it was a combination of forums like Atari Age and Nintendo Age um, being readily available, and those popped up. I want to say about ten years ago, as well as then the angry video game nerd and the whole YouTube uh, craze that happened around that time, if not a little earlier, where it exploded all around the same time. Yeah, and it's funny that you see like the the crazy dichotomy between the the old age forum and you know the, some of the YouTube community, and they would go back and forth and. We've had a a podcast episode this season where we said, like, really, Nintendo Age ain't what it used to be. Kyle and I rarely even go there anymore as well. We just kind of, you know, have created our own little microcosms in our own content now. Um,
0: Yeah, I think a problem with that, too, is, like, how many times can you read the same thread about Guardian Legend, you know? it, it, Mm -hmm. It gets really repetitive. It's really rare when you see someone come up with a really unique thread, like, But so the more and more people that come on, it just gets saturated and they're, they're new to the site. So they don't know the threads. Yeah. So then you have the aspect where they don't know that there's like 20 other, like the same thread and then they post it again. And that's an issue with that.
1: The whole Nintendo age aspect. That's also the issue that we see with, um, now YouTube channels and things is we're going to see that same thing.
0: Oh, that's the thing. It's you have to be like, do something that no one else has done, or you know do something unique or be the first one like a b g n basically you know be the first one to do that type of thing I mean it's all timing too i mean so so many bands it's all about timing, it's total luck they just were in the right place at the right time, and it's kind of like like winning the lottery too, or you know it's right place, right time,
1: exactly,
2: yeah. It, it is interesting that yeah, there are these kind of cycles that follow. Like you hear a lot of things that start, as uh, you were saying, things that started 10 years ago, which are either have, you know, have died off and been absorbed or being absorbed by something else right now or have grown into something else. Like the world just feels like it's getting smaller. It's, it's just fascinating to me because you look at past industries and I just look at how things come together so one thing i'm reading up on right now is like the biography of steve jobs and you know i read the story of pixar and just to see how things were in the 70s and 80s like you had all these different teams trying to basically build like computers and everything and like to be in the present age and to see that all of those efforts all those companies kind of led to modern day and everything kind of come together like all those players eventually met each other and created the industry as we know it now i feel that with gaming where Uh, Over the last twenty years, you know, gaming was very niche. You had all these pockets, and the world's Mm -hmm. getting smaller again. They're all building towards this central thing that you know we're not there yet, but we're all
1: getting there though slowly. Yeah, everything's coming together. It's like a hive mind. And the interesting thing is, is like I look at it from my own experiences, where you know I was doing the whole publish thing, and in my mind, when I when I put out the complete NES, which was the first you know big hit. I was like, Oh, I need to get a publisher. You know, think about that mindset. I had to get a publisher is what I was thinking. And I was already, you know, what, what three, 400% successful on Kickstarter with my book. I didn't really need the publisher. It's just the idea that I needed. And, you know, I talked to publishers and they're like, Oh yeah, we'll give you 3% of your earnings and all that, which is the classic cause like Kyle's mom's published. She's been published and she gets his little, she gets pennies on the, on the dollar every year um for her book and it's like i I was always in that mentality and i think that like i've moved to where i'm a publishing company now and publishing other people and i'm not going to do with that traditional publisher we're not in a traditional world anymore we're in a go-getters world like jason you're over there creating your own you know vision as you see it and the oil that makes the machine run and I'm doing the same thing and if anybody wants to get published under me it's a it's a go get it it's a get them style publishing it's like you can use me as much or as little as you need to but we're all going to get there together and they have demands too
0: like that's the thing when my when my ma she wrote like a children's book and they told her number one like Jeff has experience you have to change the the title because it's just one thing that we demand. I don't know if it's another book exists that has the same title, like a band, you know, or if what it is, but they made her (laughs) change the title, and then they also made her change the way that the dialogue was. So they, the way that she wrote it, she was talking about the characters, like Jason went to school, but they wanted her to write it like as Jason, like I'm going to school. So she had this rewrite the whole book because they they want a different perspective which in the end may have made for a better book but you have those demands and it's kind of like if you're an artist and you hr giger he didn't want anyone fucking with his work he didn't want anyone touching with his work if he did like an lp you know uh, like emerson lake and palmer he wouldn't change what he did and if he didn't want you to put like text over his artwork you can put it around the artwork but don't touch the artwork. There's a whole thing about that where is it better to get someone else's input or you, should you just view it like a painting? This is my painting. Here it is done. So going back. So yeah, Jeff was forced to change his title too.
1: Yeah. Cause I was, I was published with my first book in Europe and this was okay to put things in perspective. This was before metal Jesus started this. My book was called hidden gaming gems. And the publisher said, "Oh no, that title is not not going to sell anything. We we need to change it." And he and he changed. They changed my book to Hidden Treasures. That was it. What? What? That is so bad. And if you Google Hidden Treasures, there's about eight to ten books that have that title.
2: And it doesn't resonate with gamers at all. Like I would never pick that book up or even look at it if I heard of it.
0: Nope. The One guy at one of the panels was like, "Yeah, sounds like a like a pirate book." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah.
1: And what was yours again? It was Hidden Hidden, Video Game Gems? Hidden Gaming Gems, which then Middle Jesus kind of coined that. So when I re-release this book, which I hopefully will do next year, it's already literally all I have to do is, you know, reformat it into my current style. I'm going to call it Hidden Gaming Gems Generation by Generation because I cover every generation in gaming, and I cover like five to eight hidden gaming gems in every generation of gaming. And it's oh, cool. a it's awesome book and it's old. I wrote it old school style um, with you know the lots of text with images interspersed and like it's. I know Kyle's wrote a couple um, articles in it and I'm gonna give as I've went through. I'm gonna give people the opportunity to contribute. But that was the classic story where like Kyle's saying, where a lot of publishers just want you to do something because they think it's a good idea and in hindsight, Mm -hmm. mine was a terrible idea. That that publisher was horrible and they're out of business for a reason.
0: Everyone thinks their baby is (laughs) cute. Of course. course. (laughs) Their idea is the best idea.
2: your books uh physical only like have you do you explore the digital space at all
1: So I did look into it I had with the Super Nintendo book the first time I released it in you know 20 uh 2016 I released it last year I'm about to do a definitive edition this year because of all the upgrades but people were like oh I want a digital copy I want a digital copy when when I was doing the first book the Nintendo book so now that I did the Super Nintendo I'm like you know what I'll put a digital copy and mm-hmm. I think less than 10 people got one. And then we were talking 10 versus, you know, a 1,000 getting the physical. So I'm like – and I literally have to make a second book. I have to do all the formatting almost over again. It's not a one-for-one. So Mm -hmm. you're talking hours of work for that digital one. And I'm like, eh. (laughs) That's crazy.
2: Just because I, you know – when you think of that medium, like when you're not in it, you know, I'm not a writer uh, or a publisher. Mm-hmm. So you look at all these old mediums like books and you're like, well, everything's going to, to audiobooks and stuff. So I was just curious from your mm-hmm. perspective, what your experience was. And, uh,
1: well, you got uh, to think, think about it too, is that, you know, right now my books are kind of going over to the hardcore collectors and, and all of the, uh, the microcosm that we all live in, uh, the ones that, you know, are obsessed. The, general public isn't necessarily getting my book right now if I want to go toward that and make it readily available like on Amazon if I put a digital copy on Amazon I'm pretty sure it would sell like hotcakes Um, but the thing is is that my book is a giant collector's book coffee table book that's you know beautiful to look at on a table physically it's a collector thing and everybody's turning into collectors so it's hugely popular right now um, right. So I'm right now at the perfect time doing them. Uh, and how Kyle and I see it is, you know, if we have something out there physical, then at least it's there for history. Somebody will have it. It will live on. And and that's kind of the key. But if I ever do a narrative book, like say I get this because I'm writing a – um. A strategy guide slash worlds of power book for black box challenge which was a nes homebrew that i had associated with my nintendo book that just got released long story but i'm gonna do a worlds of power style book on that if i do a narrative i'll probably make that available digitally too okay yeah so i mean it all depends on the style of book too I I'm thinking that maybe my compendiums and the 90s books that I'm doing, which is more personal story based, those might be a good fit for a digital release as well.
2: Okay. Yeah, that's true. I mean, uh the, you you do have a lot of artwork and it's uh it's a piece that's just beautiful to, you know, sit and look through and share that with someone physically. It doesn't I guess that's the style of book that doesn't lend itself so well to uh, audio only or an audiobook.
1: Yeah, audiobooks too. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's, it's an interesting world. And, you know, I mean, right now this is going really cool for me. I mean, I Kyle and I both, we work, you know, full-time jobs on top of doing the fun, passionate hobby. But, you know, it's one of those things where that's why I wanted to change mine into a publishing company of sorts to bring other people in to get other passionate people because then it just grows.
2: Yeah, that that's amazing because you're basically, through your own experience, you're now giving others you're empowering the community you're empowering others who you know have who might be looking to go up your path and making it a little bit easier for them
1: absolutely and the, the key was is that you know talking with guys that have been doing it longer like kirk colada from hardcore gaming 101 or um you know mark busler from classic game room who have been doing books the amazon way and i'm like do you want to do it with this quality that I have and the, and you know, bust, Bustler, I think it is Bustler, Bustler over at um in Pittsburgh at Replay FX? He's like, well, hell yeah! And I'm like, well, that's where I would come in as a publisher. Like, I'm gonna do is I'll I'll get you with my people, and <laughs> you could yeah, yeah. You, you can publish the way that you want to. The only difference is is that you know the Amazon way or the print on demand way. You literally don't have to order a lot of books where either they can do a print on demand. They just take a giant cut. They're classic publisher style. Whereas mm-hmm. my way you, you know, fans can pre-order the books. They can, and that those funds that get raised from there, which is the, the crowdfunding way, it allows me to do a larger print run which in turn makes things cheaper and then i can do more but i have to have a place to store them so it's it's a giant piece where like i now have a warehouse in chicago where my books go because i can't store them in my house
2: (laughs) that must be crazy to walk through that i can just like just being surrounded by video game books (laughs) i'd love to see that
1: one day yeah, I know right now it's it's smaller, but as I keep on getting more and more releases out there, because this first release the um, uh, with the new way, which is the Niten- NES Oddities, and then the Nintendo Compendium that's currently being delivered overseas, those are the ones that start to fill up the palette. And the, the key is, too, is that, you know, as I print in bigger quantities, the price comes down. So what am I doing? I'm lowering the price on the next book, too. Why not? Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. And Kyle and I have been talking like we want everything to be an impulse buy. Like we want people to freaking want the stuff and be able to afford it. And it's why when we did VGBS season one, the complete inbox was 40 bucks, which nobody does a complete inbox NES game for 40 bucks. And we had a USB drive with it, too. It was insane. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, it's like that's Kyle, I mean, it's Kyle had a Kyle had a bead on the uh, USB drives at the time, so we were like, "Fuck it, like why charge for something that we already have?"
2: <laughs> right. Yeah, that's, uh, that's you know just putting the community first. That's great.
1: Yeah, and I mean the the key is is that you oh, yeah. know we're there forever. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And that's why also, like, I'm, I've actually had some people kind of disappointed with my Super Nintendo one as I'm, like, showing people the trailer that I have now and, like, I start unro- unraveling things slowly. Um, people are like, oh, can I contribute? Because everybody always asks to contribute. I'm like, well, this one's already written. Sorry. Like, because <laughs> it's literally a re-release in a million times better quality. But I was like, but when the Genesis comes out, because I'm doing Sega next... um, right. I mean, that one is going to be, you know, balls to the wall open. Like, people can do the contributor tiers, community members can hit me up. Like, it's a. I mean, big honestly,
0: you might as well say yes and just have their story and then just use it whenever you need it. Insert here. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, like, why not? Yeah. <laughs> Extra content is always good, right? Especially when they're at that moment where they want to do it because that's a whole nother thing. Mm-hmm. Like, a week from now, they, they might be like on to something else.
1: It's very true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I've Have been so many good yeah. ideas come and go. Yeah. And and that's the other thing is is In- that you gotta do it while the passion too, yeah. and the inspiration is there. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so it's
0: just kinda like a win win situation, actually.
2: So many of my video projects are that I get an idea, I write it down, or I don't actually write it down. I hate having paper notes everywhere, but um, I have all these ideas and then they, they just kind of snowball into these massive projects. I'm like, I don't have time to do this. On to the next idea. And then that one snowballs. and
0: Yeah, like, the, the last leg of the project is always the hardest. It turns big and then, and then a lot of people just like abandon it right before they're almost done. It's, it's like a marathon. Like The last leg is the hardest part
2: share with you my story uh, one of my biggest personal projects is uh, i did a documentary on the history of nintendo at e3 and uh my plan was to cover t- it was what was it 2016 2015 2016 um before 2016 e3 i wanted to release this four-part series which would cover five years of e3 at a time so 95 to 2000 2000 to 2005 nice. and so on and the idea was to release one each week in may like leading up to, uh, to E3 so that you would get five years of history. And then 2016 E3, it's like, okay, now let's go see what 2016 has to offer, right? <laughs> that was like the grand vision. Uh, and by the time I released
1: part four, it was October <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> of, uh, you know, our, already the holiday season after E3 2016. Yeah, your uh, it your was
1: scope just- was way too big. Absolutely. <laughs> It yeah. was,
2: it was, there was, it was a over a hundred hour project. It was really daunting. Uh, oh. Turned out well, but just massive, like the amount of research that was required and then the editing, each part is 20 minutes long, roughly. So they're, they're very meaty uh, episodes. We're
1: definitely going to have to watch that, Reka. Mm, absolutely. Oh yeah. Cause I, I, <laughs> I have an enthusiast channel. Yeah. Exactly. I haven't seen it. Yeah. If you look yeah. up the Nintendo enthusiast, I guarantee it's on like near the front page too.
2: What's disappointing is actually it did not do that well, which uh, kind of yeah. crushed my spirits to do another one like that. Um, yeah, that's interesting. This-
0: thing. Yeah. It's like, like demotivating, t- right? Like, I spend all this freaking time, and god damn.
2: You know, there's no interest to it. And then, you know, I see my co-host, Sean, who spends an hour in front of the camera just yelling at it, and he gets, like, 100,000 <laughs> views. I'm,
0: like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm just swatting <laughs> away. That's <laughs> where Kevin are... Our- season one buddy comes in because he was in the same way. He was like, Can you guys analyze the video and tell me like what is he doing that I'm not? Like (laughs) he's trying to pick it apart. (laughs) The
2: science behind uh (laughs) successful YouTubers.
1: Yeah. Exactly. I have like tons of projects and that's what Google Drive is great for me as I just kinda jot down notes. But um like my nineties series has kind of been on the back burner for a little bit because i got you know obsessed with the whole super nintendo and the the craziness so like it's funny though because like i want to get to 92 Uh, i've had people reach out to me that want to contribute to 92 but it's like i don't have the time and i think that's where you kind of fell in jason was the actual time commit and then combined with then you know lack of use and it's like oh
2: Yeah, it's just, well, I could, you know, spend my time doing something that has more of an impact.
0: Yeah, time is the biggest commodity, though, like, really, because mortality, we're, like, on a ticking time clock. I mean, really, time is the biggest thing.
1: It's one of those things, too, that's interesting is, like, Kyle said it perfectly, like, a few weeks back. Where people are very habit forming as well, so like Sean Long's people, they he they know he's putting out a video multiple times a week, so they're constantly watching him as he puts out new content, regardless if it's on you know the new Street Fighter 2 Repro cart that came out and he has a little pissed off looking face. They're gonna watch that shit because they know he's gonna keep on coming out with content. It's gonna be streamlined and fast and in your face and completely personalized. And dust settles yep. quick, man yeah it does yes yeah
2: honestly if i understood it i wouldn't be really talking about it i'd be telling you (laughs) what works what doesn't how did you Um, do it
1: jason tell us
2: (laughs) like it's uh you know youtube doesn't recognize quality um content but at the same time the algorithms are made to like the algorithms are there to uh to promote content that people watch Longer, so it's not based on views it's based on watch time so if you have yes. you know a 20 minute show of really good quality and people are watching it because they're hooked um it's going to do very well but um to build that brand to build content that long that's interesting like it's very difficult to make content that's 10-15 minutes long that is actually captivating especially if you don't have a name for yourself and like one thing i noticed with uh, our friend that we keep going back to rgt oh, yeah. he um I think all his minutes are ten minute, or all his videos are ten minutes now, which is you know very smart. But he didn't start off that way, right? He started he off with two did. three minute rants, got people to know him, and eventually he stretched it out and played to the to the algorithm strengths.
1: The anchor video game nerd was the first too that was able mm-hmm. to captivate at that high level of quality. So either you got to be the first, or you got to be the best. So it's, and he, it's yeah, tough. and
0: he was kind of both because he took it beyond like a simple. Review, like a vidlog, he took it to like cinematic
2: hype, yeah I also think though the times have changed in the sense that i 'm not sure if those who are watching YouTube today are necessarily the same as i don 't know if it's the same audience of people, like I feel that YouTube attracts a certain type of audience with different types of standards and you know you have all these new services like there's probably a good chunk of the audience that used to be on youtube that have moved on to say netflix and watching documentaries there and watching content there and uh you know it's very different kind of content like finding other shows like the avgn is very hard to find new content like that on youtube i find because it just It doesn't live. It it can't compete against this other type of content, which is more personal, more easier to produce, where, you know, you have all these personalities on YouTube that I I feel it's it's just very different content now. And you kind of have to tailor your content for the platform.
1: And there's so much of it. There's tons of it. And that's the the other thing. The funny thing is going to some of these conventions, you'll see the guys that are like. Oh yeah, I'm I'm blah 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 and I'm like I have no clue who you are and he's like, "Yeah, I got 4 million subscribers." And I'm like, <laughs> "Holy shit." So, but they just tailor to the algorithm. They tailor to the people that are currently listening. They're they're with the times. Yeah. Yeah. I call that the peanut butter gamer yeah. style level where they're ridiculous with the subs, but it's not my style. I I don't really enjoy them myself because it's not it's not tailored to me.
2: Yeah, there's li- there's so much out there. There's literally something for everyone.
0: And I mean, the video game, like even AVGN, still in the microcosm. He has like a few million views, but if you look at like hip-hop videos or Taylor Swift or something, there's like, <laughs> you know, like a 100 million views. There's people that have a billion views. Like, holy fuck. So yeah, like 3 million views compared to what's really trending in the world. Like what people are into right now, hundreds yeah. of millions of views. So we're still like, even the most popular video game thing is still in the microcosm.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, the AVGN is so tiny now on YouTube in comparison, I think mean, it's 2 million. And <laughs> yeah, I feel I'll like he, yeah. I feel like his audience is, you know, probably people in their 30s um, around like his us. age. Yeah. And if yeah. you talk to <laughs> people in like their early 20s and they follow all these other uh, YouTubers that you've probably never heard of and they're, they're way bigger than the AVGN. And it's like, Whoa. what's the appeal here? What's, mm-hmm. What are you looking at? What Want
1: me to blow your mind? Is that the the way to really make it right now is to make something tailored to the children? YouTube, get you on YouTube Kids. If you can get on yeah. YouTube oh, Kids, my, my daughter literally, like yeah. when we let her go on the IT- iPad, she goes to this Cookie Swirl Suite and a couple other ones where she literally watches that show nonstop. And that imagine she's at the same SEO as you, as you guys are.
2: I didn't even know there was a YouTube kids, and I have a kid.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm. I'm just saying though, she's over there watching that, and this this girl, she's like literally doing unboxings of toys, but she's like playing games, and like she was playing this game like Minecraft looking thing, and she was just running around. My daughter's watching it. She leaves it on, and she'll leave it on and walk into the other room because she's a kid. (laughs) Like she's playing Legos, but Cookie Swirl Sweet's still on. Guess what? Cookie Swirl Sweet's still getting that ad pay. (laughs)
2: <laughs> it's crazy it's it, it, like it's that that's a very good point the whole you know children watching youtube uh that's something that probably was you know you didn't have to think about or compete with 10 years ago and that's why you have these channels of look at this latest toy i i completely know what you mean i i've seen my nephew and niece watch that kind of stuff and i'm just is this imagine
1: that across the entire country my son my, my tries to watch it i was like no don't watch it play a game instead and i give him a controller yeah I actually uh, introduced my daughter um, today for the first time to Minecraft. Um, oh, she, yeah. She knew about it, but she didn't want to play because she didn't understand. I'm like, no, no, here. And she actually grabbed it, and I go, here, walk around. She she finally can understand. So she was looking around. She saw some animals. We didn't have it in creation mode at first, so the zombies killed her. And then she was like, no. Oh, no. <laughs> but then I put it in creation mode, <laughs> oh. and she's like enjoying it. Yeah, that's the way to do it. <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> Legos. Video my, my daughter's uh five and a half oh okay so she oh, starts yeah. uh kindergarten on wednesday i went to her orientation yesterday with her <laughs> very nice the whole time i was working on the super nintendo book she was playing mario paint on, right next to me while i was working on the book
2: oh man how'd she like it
1: she loves mario paint She super nintendo mouse she plays fun and games mario preschool uh, all that she's playing mario preschool again today like she loves all that stuff
2: yeah there, there was something addicting about that that's uh I feel that kid products now try too hard and like they almost try to dumb down everything for kids when it's mm-hmm. like, you know, you don't need to do that. We were younger, like our shows and stuff weren't over the top goofy and like stupid. It was, there was, you could have a serious show and it wasn't, you know, we're okay. We could understand it. We could follow it. We weren't bored about it.
0: And that that being said, we can still go back today and watch it. And it's still like watchable.
2: All of our childhood cartoons are there. They still, I find that they're still good. I watch them with my son. He loves them. We're How going through Dragon son? Ball. He's, uh, he's going to be nine. Nice. So I just started a few weeks ago Dragon Ball Z with him.
0: Very and cool. he oh, wanted to watch it from one. the start. Yes, <laughs> perfect. The start's the best, in my opinion. The very first season is my favorite.
2: He saw me watch. He's like, what's this? I was like, well, let me start you at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Now, did you start at the beginning of Z or the beginning of Dragon Ball?
2: So I tried to get him through dragon ball like a year ago. Cause I thought Z was a bit too violent. Um, yeah. and I lost the stream. It, it kind of, I don't know. I just felt it was a little bit boring. It is. Um, he was really curious about Z cause I think like he had heard about it. I think they talk about it at school. So he's like, I want to watch dragon ball Z when he's older, when Goku's older. So I was, just, so now I'm like, okay, we'll watch it. But you know, I'll, I'll watch over like do the parenting thing. of Okay. Don't, don't try this in school. Don't punch people. Um, <laughs> He's enjoying it. It's crazy. When we were watching, uh, he watched a few episodes of Dragon Ball Super with me. And of course, I watch him in Japanese with subtitles because dubbing takes a while. And I don't even bother now. And the first time he watched, I'm like, okay, you're going to have to learn to read pretty fast. And he was like so focused and uh, it was tough for him. And the second time when we went to watch Dragon Ball Z, he's like, can we watch it in Japanese? And I was like, what? Like,
1: Hmm, Interesting request?"
2: Yeah, cool. I was like, no, you're gonna watch it in English,
1: <laughs> the way I watched it as I grew up. That's cool. Well, the, the classic, so the classic story is like if you challenge your kid and dangle the carrot, the proverbial carrot in front of them, and they want it, like he wants to watch Dragon Ball Super with you to the point where he'll read faster. He'll, he'll te- they'll teach themselves. It's, it's yeah. the same thing where I don't. You know, make my daughter do anything, but if she wants to play Minecraft, like, no, I'm not going to show you. Figure it out, and she will if she wants to. Yeah, absolutely. yeah that's the
0: whole thing. Yeah, because when we were kids, that's how we like learned to read about because we were reading the instruction manuals for like Zelda and shit. You know,
1: well, yeah, my my, we my classic was is that um it. my my dad wanted nothing to do with anything. And the classic was is that I wanted to play my Nintendo and he wouldn't he wasn't around or didn't wouldn't hook up my Nintendo for me. So guess what I did? Taught myself. <laughs> Taught myself there all the is. all the hardware stuff, like because I wanted to oh. play Nintendo. Gotta grow up yeah, quick some good motivator. Exactly. I wanted- that
0: was the way his parents were. I mean they they didn't cut any slack.
2: Mm-hmm. I wonder what started the whole blowing of a cart. <laughs> it's a um, widespread solution that everybody's like oh I'm going to blow in this and it's going to make it work
1: well it's it's like we've talked about before on the cast is like the, the schoolyard mentality back then was huge like basically the one kid who had Nintendo Power and had all the answers and later more kids would get it But, like, basically it just went around like hot fire, like, hey, man, your game's flashing, just blowing it. And it just went, like, crazy across the, like, everybody figured it out. And really it's just the the actual action of moving the cartridge in and out of the system is what does it, not anything to do with blowing.
0: (laughs) Being a kid, I would say it's, like, the only thing you can do. Uh, Because you don't really know about Q-tips and, you know... Yeah. cleaning it and shit so it's really as a kid what what else can you do friends or cousins
2: that would like the more the more it didn't work the
1: harder they would blow and then oh, their yeah. face would just go red <laughs> the classic <laughs> that we used to it's do is if it still if it time. still didn't work we would uh we wouldn't start blow we'd go ah, like really hot air <laughs>
2: oh, yeah some people <laughs> would do that i don't know why the techniques <laughs>
1: The the funny thing is is that like i never blew in the atari the Atari cartridges never blew in them. Nobody.
0: That's nobody because the top-down technology is fucking badass. The, yeah. the forward-loading technology sucks. So you the, have gravity like uh, playing against you, where top-down gravity is with you.
1: Ow! Like I could sit there, take anybody's game by here. Let me see. I will get it to work first time, and you just do the little—not the jiggle—but if you you do the whole right-align thing, it works every time. Pops right. Unless the game's really freaking dirty. But if the game's clean and somebody doesn't work for them like let me see it. I just take it out, put it in aligned to the right slightly where you just put a little pressure on the right side works every fucking time (laughs) yeah
0: the little slot that's in the cartridge just touch the corner of that and kind of like pluck it a few times and keep pressing reset it should pop up if it does pop up and there's still like glitchiness to it there's something on the cart like a little piece of dust so at that point you know just take out like a q-tip you know (laughs) it's funny i was testing you don't even need to put anything on the q-tip you just just wipe that shit. Like, I mean, you can put stuff on it too. You know, people put alcohol, Windex, Nintendo cleaning solution. <laughs> but really, you can just wipe it with a Q, just a normal Q-tip, and it sh- it probably will fix it. It's, it's just yes. so sensitive. It's so sensitive. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Rage sometimes, and I would just like smack my any ass a few times until it finally worked. There was one game. One game that was like, it was the one game that would never work. Uh, It was a Quattro pack.
0: Codemasters, yes.
2: Uh, Is it Codemasters? The one with like the Treasure Island,
0: the... Yeah.
2: I forgot, Robin Hood.
0: Yeah, Super Robin Hood, um, Boomerang Kid. You had Dizzy and then you had uh, Linus Spacehead.
2: (laughs) Oh my God, did I play those games to death? And the cart would never freaking work. (laughs) But and if you like smack that- the NES the right way, it's like you had a 50 50 chance. So,
0: yeah, that that lockout chip deal. I mean, they <laughs> bypassed the it, NES. but there was a switch on the back of that. There was there a was? switch on the back of that cart that um, you could switch from PAL to like US or something like that. Is that or what if, it did?
2: I, I never understood. I think it, it said
0: like if it's if it doesn't work, switch to this. I think that's what it said on the back of the mm-hmm. cart. So, there were like multiple options that they gave you because they knew. There there was a faulty aspect to it Compared to like Tetris or Doctor Mario or you know like a normal licensed game, yeah, it
2: made it worse because now you had not only did you have the wiggle and the blowing to consider, but now you also had to do the chip switch. You're like, oh, well, maybe I need to try all this wiggling and blowing, but with it in position B
1: this time. And you apparently, like smacking or something the, like smacking the system as well. That's another mentality. Like boom, Bonzi style, trying to get the jukebox to work. Boom,
0: exactly, yes. it worked sometimes.
2: And then when it like it would steady and it wouldn't blink, it's just like every Everybody walk away slowly and don't breathe on it.
1: And then, you, <laughs> yeah. then you have somebody walk in front of it and hit the controller. Yeah, <laughs> No! <laughs> yeah, that was the worst. You'd be like
0: headlong into a game and boom, froze. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no!
0: yeah.
1: My, my daughter oh, yeah. actually did that um, when she was just learning to walk, and I was playing uh, a reproduction cartridge of Dragon Quest 1 and 2. This was like a long time ago. And I was playing it on the Super Nintendo, and and she walked by hit the hit the whole console down and it erased my entire progress in the rpg and i was like oh never got back you from could home. save oh, in those yeah. though right those were
2: rpgs that you could save right
1: oh yeah you could save but it, it erased the save because of the power surge
2: oh no oh shit
1: <laughs> i was like i'm done with this game for a while i never, <laughs> I never went back and it's been like four years now <laughs> i hear you i did something similar <laughs> with um,
2: I used to live in a room where I would go to work. This was like an internship I had. So I was in a city, a foreign city. I didn't know anyone. I had no friends. I would just go to work. And all I had when I went home was my PS2. There was like, I had no internet, nothing, no cell phone. Um, So I put all this time into Star Ocean 3, I think, uh, which is a really huge RPG. I put 50 hours into it to beat the main storyline. And after you beat the storyline, like a ton of things unlock. uh, Like The series is known for having so much to do after you beat the storyline. And I was like, Oh cool. And I want to just go see something at the beginning of the game again to like, before I dived into the end game content Mm -hmm. and I accidentally overwrote my 50 hour save file with my 10 minute save file. And I just, I just quit. I just, I haven't touched that game. It's on my shelf and I have never started it up again in the last 10 years. (laughs)
0: dude that's (laughs) crazy mentality (laughs) and i'm spent
2: (laughs) (laughs) i don't think i've ever felt disappointment and pain and in that kind of intensity ever where you're just like you have nobody to be
1: mad at you can't yell at anybody (laughs)
2: because it's your own fault (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> I had my uh, my nephew, Zach, used to used to do that. His, him and his buddies, like, I was working night shift, and I was, like, staying the summer at my sister's house while I was working night shift, and him and his buddies would play on my PlayStation 2, and they overwrote, like, lots of my game saves. Ooh. <laughs> Remember the what class? I don't like about oh, Switch is uh, oh.
2: the fact that my Breath of the Wild save file is so vulnerable to my kid accidentally deleting it. It hasn't happened yet.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Almost the first time, but I'm so paranoid of someone just going into my file and accidentally overwriting it.
1: If if you ever watch my uh, switch, if we're ever friends on the switch, you'll notice my name is not the Subcon Three no more. It's like the SU, and I have like a little girl as my avatar now, and because my daughter will make mies and Amebas yeah. and she'll like overwrite my character because she's always on my account doing it instead of her own. <laughs> 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 it's, it looks ridiculous, it's like. Funny. Somebody who's, who follows me on there is probably like, What the fuck is with this dude? <laughs> <laughs> it's so many hours into uh what is it now? Snipper clips. like my daughter's literally just playing snipper clips and like just snipping away at the other characters.
0: Dude, this is their time now, like how we had our time when we were kids. This is their time where it's forming in their brains. These are the memories that they're gonna have. Exactly. Mm. That's why it's awesome. Just like just like we did, you know, cyclical.
1: Yeah, I mean, unless it's a danger to my daughter, like, I don't usually tell her no for a lot of stuff. I just let her kind of go crazy with stuff.
0: Well, that's a big difference, because when we were kids, there was nothing that was, like, crazy, gory, or just, you know, mm-hmm. violent, or, uh, you yeah, know, Mortal Kombat and shit. But even that Nowadays, was... you are going to watch that. You never know what you're gonna get. <laughs> even TV, normal TV, it's like, damn. <laughs> yeah. I didn't expect to see that. <laughs> like, it's like a Splatter movie. Like, whoa.
1: And there was an interesting one that my daughter did to me today. She started asking me about Five Nights at Freddy's. That seems really popular with kids. And I'm like, how do you know about this? And I just asked her, like, who told you about this? And the Cookie Swirl Sweets on YouTube, kids, is doing unboxings of the Five Nights at Freddy's toys or something. But I'm like, that is a horror game series that's jump scares and scary as shit. You literally sit in this room. And there's these animatronic puppets that want to rip your face off and they jump out and try to kill you. And you have to keep on shining lights to keep them away.
2: <laughs> and my son picked up on this in grade one. Like he, he, he talked to me about it. I was I don't have the game. I've never played. I was like, where'd you hear that? He's like, Oh, kids at school are talking about it. I was like, why are kids at school playing five nights at Freddy's?
0: I was in the horror movies at eight, seven or eight too. And I, and Jeff was playing the Friday the 13th with London and her friends and they were loving it. So mm-hmm yeah i don't know it's just a thing it's just crazy it's something that's like forbidden taboo something that you're not supposed to see i think there's a a lure to that just like when i was a kid i wanted to see what they didn't want me to see (laughs) reverse psychology
1: my daughter was talking about piranhas the other day and i'm like she was on my wife's phone looking up piranhas and if you look up piranhas on google It shows dead bodies with piranhas. Tons of pictures. So as soon as she showed me the first one I go, go show that to your mother, I go and my wife goes, Oh my god, like what are you doing? I was like, This is what you let your daughter do? Like when I'm not at home? (laughs) <laughs> this is what you let her do because it was like that's the
0: problem with Google, man. Yeah, you can search like boobs and like there's a million of them. <laughs> Back in the day, and like AOL, we used to have to like trade pictures. Like, dude, I got a Jenny McCarthy one. Dude, I got a Pamela Anderson one. Oh, dude, <laughs> let me see it. And that was how it was. Like, that's how fucking then primitive it used to be.
2: You had to wait for the image to load line by line, line by and line,
1: line yes, baby. Absolutely. <laughs> really?
2: What's gonna show up? What's gonna show up? <laughs>
0: And that shows the exponential rate of how fast it is now, you know, <laughs> even how long it took to get to technology in the first place, thousands and thousands of years, a few decades yep. later, bam, we got computers in the palm of our hands. We're all connected. It's nuts.
1: Yeah. So I just use the mentality of telling my daughter that it's gross. I'm like oh yeah that's that's just that's nasty That's gross you know just, yeah, you just don't make a big it, deal about yeah. it. Yeah.
0: Well, the thing is, you guys are horror fans. Like yeah. that's the only thing. Like uh, Jeff and his wife are horror fans. Like I'm a horror fan, so we, they got all the movies and stuff around the house and Jason, Freddy. You got and stuff. Jason masking the It's way. inevitable, <laughs> dude. It's just right there, you know.
1: Yeah, that, yeah. I'm not going to be the parent to. You know, prevent my daughter from experiencing something, but I'm also not going to just make it readily available. like if she finds it and I'm not gonna go, oh my god, no, it's it's just gonna be like, yep, eh, that's what this is.",
0: <laughs> well and that's a big thing because like those old films, like we were talking about in past episodes, the older films aren't like as crazy as the newer films too. So I'd almost have to review the newer films and see if they're good for a kid to watch. I highly doubt it. But back in the day, they didn't show a lot of stuff. It was more psychological, Alfred Hitchcock, Twilight Zone type shit. So it wasn't as crazy. Now they're trying to push the limits. Like, what hasn't been done, you know? That's the other thing, too. It's changed so
1: much. Mm-hmm. Mm. Craziness. So, yeah. um, Jason, we probably should should wrap up the episode. Is there anything you're working on or any shout-outs or anything you want to give?
2: You know, I started the show by saying what got me into all this is trying to make an event. And uh, actually, that's one of the things I'm working on right now is uh, our 2018 convention, which is the biggest in Canada so far, the biggest video game convention in Canada uh, called DGLX. So we are uh, getting ready for that.
1: That's amazing. Big project.
2: (laughs) Up to that. It's going to be in Toronto. I don't know if you've ever come up uh, to Canada, but...
0: uh, Oh, yeah. Beautiful.
2: Beautiful. Good place to uh, show off your book.
1: Yeah. I've I've never been out there. I would love to. Just hit me up. Fresh new um, audience. If yeah. if I can um if I can make it, you know, up that way, I, I definitely will.
0: Toronto's awesome. It's like the cleanest place I've ever been. People that I was with, we were it, it was a game. We were looking for a piece of litter. We never found one. We found really? we found That's one that. freaking penny. But that was like if you maybe fifteen years ago. So
2: they've learned to litter since.
0: <laughs> they've learned to litter. Damn it.
2: <laughs> the they have taken
1: too much from
0: people corrupted. from the USA.
1: <laughs> All that crass coming up there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the disease
1: is spread. Yes. <laughs> well, thanks, Jason, for coming on. And um, yeah, thanks so much, man. Keep the, always pa- appreciate keep the it. passion alive, man.
2: Always welcome inviting me. It was fun. Yep, definitely. Goodnight, guys.
1: Thank you for listening to VGBS. We appreciate everybody taking the time to get through this whole uh, Arduous Podcast. We love it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you want to correspond with us, you can email us at vgbspodcast at gmail.com. But we also have a phone number. It is two two six four VGBS. You can leave us a voicemail, shoot us a text message. Um, whatever you want to do, correspond. Also, comment on us. Shoot us a message on Facebook, Twitter, Google+. Plus. We love hearing what people
0: um think about the podcast. All right, see you later. Woo! Later!